Hi, listener. Welcome to Millennial Moves, a podcast about millennials doing great things. And I'm your millennial host, Zach Donish. I'm overjoyed with the response I received from our last chapter, both positive and negative feedback alike. Negative feedback helps me grow as a podcaster and a producer, and a positive feedback always makes me feel pretty good. A healthy amount of both is much appreciated. In my day job, I always appreciate positive feedback and praise, but I make a point to ask for critical feedback because it helps me align to the priorities at hand. Your feedback provides the same purpose here. This chapter of Millennial Moves features an entrepreneur, one who identified an available market, stuck his neck out, and kept on fighting to build a small business that fit his lifestyle. It's the dream to own and run a business that conforms to you, not wake up and dread heading into a 9-to-5 job where you're a cog in a vast machine, where innovation and inaccuracies on your part are a minor disturbance to everyone. Before I forget, I want to introduce Nate Rubin, my guest on this chapter and owner of Rubin Digital Media. Hi, I'm Nate, and I'm a millennial. Let's talk about some background information before we jump into my chat with Nate. When I talk about digital media, I'm referring to websites, advertisements, and other web-based marketing and information sharing that all point towards a bigger profile for products and services. Think about e-commerce plus graphic design plus marketing copy. Nate and his small team put all of that together to form this idea of digital media. In our first chapter, Foundations, Paul Desmond outlines some action steps to start your journey into architecture. You'll notice during my chat with Nate that there's some similarities here. Successful people seem to spring up from open markets, from big opportunities combined with passion. For Nate, you'll hear him talk about his entry into digital media as if it was just an open door. It sounds effortless to some, as if a big neon sign was humming just above the industry, as if to say, quote, enter here for success, unquote. But it's about a lot more than that. It's about recognizing opportunity and having the guts to drop everything, even little by little, to create a successful venture or to realize an opportunity or a passion. So many of us want to do great things, but we're held back by the lack of a plan, sheer laziness, or the voices inside of us that say, but what if? Oftentimes, with success, even small successes, you can't help shake the feeling that you don't belong, that the work you're doing is inconsequential and you should just give up, that you're dressed up as someone who's had success, but the minute you leave your office, the field, wherever you're seeing your success manifest itself, you'll take off the costume and become something less. Perhaps it was just luck that brought you a successful deal or home run. This nagging concept of what's known as imposter syndrome was coined by two psychologists in the late 70s. There are many ways to describe, arrive at, and duel with this nagging feeling of self-doubt, but this much is clear. Confidence is key. Nate will touch on the idea of imposter syndrome during our interview, and along with his tips for getting started in advertising in the digital age, he'll share some great strategies for pushing back against that feeling that you might just be an imposter. That said, we've gotten some background out of the way, and without further ado, let's jump into my chat with Nate Rubin, owner of Rubin Digital Media. Hi, Nate. Thanks for being on the pod. 
Why don't we start with a broad question? What do you do? So I run a digital marketing company called Ruben Digital Media, and I wear many hats being a young founder. In terms of getting the work done, I'm the one who's building all of the websites for clients, but I also oversee a social media and PR division. I go out and I run point on sales, new client acquisition, brand management, and I'm the pretty much the liaison to the rest of, of the world from, from our company. That's great. If you could take it back just a second, you touched on a few buzzwords, and I want to find out more about what digital marketing is. So to me, what encompasses digital marketing is really any form of messaging that originates on a computer or is going to end up in some sort of electronic device. So our company builds websites, we manage and create social media profiles, we run email marketing campaigns, we design logos, we even design things for print marketing such as brochures and flyers, but all of the creative work happens on a computer. At this point, it seems like a huge endeavor. How did you guys at Ruben Digital Media get started? So I started Ruben Digital Media in June of 2014. Before starting the company, I was a social media and events intern at Swank PR in the city. And I'd been doing a lot of social media management and event production for a lot of Chicago hip hop artists. And I wanted to start a music blog. And what's funny is almost four years later, I still haven't started that music blog, but I learned how to build a website. And in the process of building a website, my dad's company needed a website. He hired me. I did the job. Well, then the company my mom worked for needed a website and social media. So I got brought on as their online marketing coordinator. And a, a month into that, I said, you know what? I bet a lot of other people need this too. And I decided to file for an LLC. And, and I just went from there. So talk to me then about filing for an LLC. What's the process? I often hear young millennials interested in starting their own business, but some of the legalese attached to LLCs or other business types can be confusing. Sure. So uh, I was lucky enough to have a good enough education where in high school I learned about different types of businesses. And when I went to Harper College, I learned about different types of businesses. So going into it, I already knew the advantages of an LLC. Um, I spoke with my father, who has his own LLC, and then I spoke to my best friend's dad, who's my accountant, and I asked them for feedback. Uh, they told me, go on the website. It's pretty easy, and uh, about a week later, it was all done. So, Nate, everybody has a dream. Talk to me about your dream, your motivation, your passion behind starting Ruben Digital Media. So, I think in terms of self-awareness, I always knew I was the type of person to run my own business. In high school, I was always selling something. I was always coming up with some idea on how to make money. Uh, my dad always told me, you know, I bet one day you'll you'll have a business going and you'll drop out of college. And I did drop out of school um, before I ended up going back to school and starting my business. But there was just always this entrepreneurial spirit. And when it finally came down to, hey, I am just sick and tired of going from retail job to retail job, and I'm ready to just build something of my own, I didn't have a really good business plan. I didn't even know where I was going. I just found one marketable skill and said, I'm going to build from there. And I really didn't look back at all. So, Nate, this podcast is all about process. And uh, just as you finish filing for your LLC, the state of Illinois gives you a nice little plaque and charges you some amount of money. 
what is the first step that you took or maybe the first couple steps that you took to growing Ruben Digital Media? Um, well, I was lucky enough where right out of the gate, I had a part-time job doing the same thing. So I had a, a basically a playground to test those skills. And then on the outside, when I was trying to build my business, I spent first time building my brand. So I wanted to at least look the part as best as I could. I created my own website. I, I started putting together portfolio items from other things I had done to make it look like I had a, you know, a real body of work. I started with creating social media profiles. I got back on Facebook. I got on Twitter. Um, Instagram wasn't quite so big yet for businesses, and I had no interest in Pinterest. Uh, and then I just really kept going from there, and I started telling people that I started a business. And slowly, referrals started to trickle in. You know, Nate, I feel like you'd agree with me here that uh, those that dream about starting their own business, they don't necessarily understand what that first year or even first few years looks like from a work versus reward perspective. I want to talk a bit about employees. And so tell me about when you first hired your your first set of employees. How long did it take you? That's a phenomenal question. So as I mentioned, I started in June 2014. I brought on my first set of interns in December of 2015 to start working January of 2016. And uh, those first employees were actually my mom and my sister. So what took so long? I think the big thing is I wasn't looking for them. I was first trying to figure out how I could really turn a few skills into a business. And it took a year before I quit my part-time job and did it full-time. And then six months into it, I realized, okay, this is something I, I really want to invest in and turn into a legitimate business and, and not just a hobby that brought me some money. And I looked to the people I trusted the most. Uh, my sister was studying PR and social media at Harper, and she has a phenomenal work ethic. So she was a no-brainer. And I had previously worked with my mom at the company she worked for. So I, I knew we could work well together. And I knew there was going to be some writing and admin tasks I didn't want to do. And that would be her strong suit. So I just offered them. I said, you know, do you guys want to help build this with me? And, and they did. And they were willing to do an unpaid internship just like I had done outside to get my skills. So something I'm super passionate about is leadership and how to get the most out of a team that you're working with and leading. Tell me a bit about your experience as a leader and some of the skills required as the founder of a small business, because they're undoubtedly different than some of the skills that a middle manager might need. I think in the beginning, management was a little bit difficult. And primarily because I was still growing and maturing as a business owner. And I was growing in terms of the services we offered. So I could tell my sister, hey, here's a client we have. We're going to be doing their Facebook and their Twitter. And they're going to pay us X amount each month. So we should give them X amount of value. And I didn't really have the numbers down to really justify how much time and how much content, how much output we should give them based on what they were paying us. And we definitely over delivered and I was running my sister ragged and I had to really learn how to scale back. So my management skills first required me to understand the tasks we were doing. But now, now that we've gotten to a place of really understanding our, our price point, understanding how much output we should be giving, it's now become how do I manage us for efficiency? 
How do I get my employees doing the right amount of work for the client and really maximizing the resources? And other than that, it's pretty much hands-off and morale boosting. So I'm in there making sure they know they're appreciated, making sure I see how hard they're working, really complimenting the things that I like, and then also creating the space to give honest and direct feedback. I need them to know when something doesn't work, why it doesn't work. And I need them to know that it has nothing to do with them personally. It's just whatever approach they took wasn't wasn't the mark we were looking for. And we were just looking for the best overall product. So I think at the end of the day, it's about having the communication and trust to let them know delivering the best possible product is more important than our feelings in the short term, but it's all supported by a mutual understanding and respect and even love. Now, the word side hustle, for uh, better or worse, uh, I have my own opinions on that, but the word side hustle has become an important part of the millennial experience. We're all about providing value, whether it's a passion project or something you're good at but doesn't relate to your nine to five. Uh, This podcast might be an example of a side hustle. Um, How do you arrive at a price point for some of the things that you do. For example, when you, you were setting up Ruben Digital Media, at what point did you say, I'm delivering on the expected value that I charge? That's an excellent question. And I think knowing your clients is going to be really critical in determining whether or not they're satisfied. At the end of the day, I have no control over someone else's satisfaction level. So it took me recognizing that, that I can create very very strong and clear agreements and expectations with my clients. And then it's only on me to deliver. If they're not satisfied, that ultimately becomes, you know, an issue with them. But as long as I live up to my word and we're doing exactly what we promise, we can fall asleep very well at the end of the night. Um, But to touch on part of your question, how do I determine the pricing and the value of each client? I used to create these complex, custom-tailored packages, and it would all be built on what they thought they could afford each month. And over the last four months, I really cut that out. And I'm very direct and upfront, even from the initial consultation. This is our labor rate for web design. This is our labor rate for writing. This is our labor rate for social media work, and we could build a package around how many hours of work we're going to perform for you each month, but it really takes the guesswork out of things, and it makes it extremely transparent. This is what our time is valued at, and I'll be flexible with clients on how much time we can afford them, but I'm not flexible on the rate anymore, and a lot of that has to do with respecting what we've built as well as respecting my employees and the value of their time. That's great. I think that concept and uh, your advice will help people value their time correctly and charge appropriate amounts for their services. I think it's a big part of learning how to start our business and run it effectively. People so often just do things for free because it gives them exposure when maybe that's not the right course of action. Absolutely. And and I think a helpful lesson I learned from my accountant early on is the, the rule of threes, at least when it comes to price point. You've got, and the percentages will change across industries, but a third of your price has to do with the labor that goes into creating your product or service. A third of it's going to be overhead, so the cost associated with it. And then a third of it should be profit. And you need to determine what is an appropriate percentage of each one of those factors or each one of those sections. But at some point, you have to be calculating an extra for profit or you're just never going to make any money. 
So Nate, tell me a bit more about yourself. We've heard a ton about Ruben Digital Media and how exciting it was to start the business, but I want to learn a bit more about Nate. <laughs> That's a good question. Um, I, I get to do a lot when I'm living a balanced lifestyle. And sometimes when I've got business goals and I've got employees to feed, I lose sight of balance. But lately when I'm living a balanced life, it looks like uh, three or four days at the gym. Uh, I enjoy heavy lifting. I enjoy hot yoga. I enjoy yin yoga. I enjoy playing basketball. Um, then at home, it looks like waking up and ending each day with meditation it looks like taking time for making my own food. And then occasionally I'll have a social event. I, I, got, I was blessed to go to a wedding on Saturday. I've been to four weddings this year. And uh, I travel. And usually it's a work-related trip, but uh, I love it. I, once a quarter I like to go somewhere else and just work in a new environment. And it gives me the time to evaluate what's working and what isn't and, uh, and to let go of old ideas and be open to new ideas. That sounds awesome. I'm glad you have that kind of freedom as the founder of a company. What else do you find that you are doing that might not be typical of a millennial? Oh, well, that's, uh, that's an easy one. I attend uh, a Rotary meeting every week at the uh, Northbrook Rotary Club. And what is Rotary? So Rotary is an international service organization, and it was actually founded and, and started in Chicago, but has grown into something that spans across the world with 1.3 million members. And in layman's terms, it's a bunch of old people getting together to do service projects and donate money to worthwhile charities. When I joined my club, I was the youngest member by 20 years. I'd say the average age of the club is 55. So I'm definitely one amongst very few millennials. I think there's one other guy, 24 years old, who coincidentally is also a Nate. And then there's a few members in their 30s. And then the rest are pretty much 40 through 85. So if you're a millennial named Nate and you're listening, I think you've got a place to be on Rotary Night. So Nate, talk to me a bit more about starting a business. I've talked to a lot of millennials who are really interested in this aspect. You know, what's my first step? I would say if you want to start your business, the first step would be spending some quality time with yourself in whether it's meditation that works for for you or quiet self-reflection, but I would say getting yourself in the point or the frame of mind where you can let go of everything external and just focus on what is your motivation for starting a business and, and what kind of impact do you want to have on the world. And um, one of the reasons I bring that up is a big biggest thing millennials say is that they want to do something that is significant and has impact. And I think all people want to do something significant and have impact. And the best way to go about that is to figure out what impact you want to create. Once you're really clear on what you create, I would say the next step is to look at what kind of lifestyle do you want to create. Uh, for example, for me, being able to work from home was important. Being able to get to the gym was important. Being able to create healthy food was important. Um, that kind of lifestyle mattered, and I sacrificed a lot of things that could have brought me more material success pretty quickly in order to build a solid base. Um, and then the third question I'd, I'd sit back is I'd take a look at 
how much money do I have and how much time do I have? My advice to somebody starting a business who was in my position with maybe $1,000 um, but a cushy home life is much different than somebody with $0 and uh, has to really scratch for survival, which would also be much different than somebody with $100,000 in a few months' time. We talked a bit about this before, but it bears repeating since you brought it up again with the idea that money and time are major restrictions on a new business. If I'm a millennial, I have a little bit of money and a little bit of time. What do I do during those first few months to really have a chance at success? I think the first few months look like building your team and you would want to start networking with uh, maybe five close trusted friends and you'd want to really pull apart your life and look at it from a perspective of a of a marketing research paper or of a report and saying who is within my sphere of influence who do I know who can help me get this done because if you're in the position where you've got a thousand dollars in the bank and you really only have about three or four months so you're gonna want to know who has experience in what you've done who has experience in the market you want to go into then you want to learn as much as you can about the dollars and cents of dollars and cents of your idea how much money is it going to take for me to put together a profitable or a viable product um, what is the supply chain going to look like how much is it going to cost to keep an influx or to keep a supply of what i'm creating and then how am i going to bring this to market and it doesn't necessarily mean putting together a polished Harvard business like a business plan. Uh, I'm clearly evidence that you can pretty much go by the, the seat of your pants if you'd like, but you have to know the dollars and cents of what your business is going to look like. And then if you have the type of business that requires capital to scale, you're going to need to talk to the right people and find out who's going to be able to get you access to money and what are the terms they want. Um, if you're thinking about doing some sort of equity financing where you're going to give up a component of your business, you, you really have to evaluate these people for what are they going to provide to you in terms of value? What does their Rolodex of contacts look like? What does their background of skill look like? And what are they going to do to help enhance the company and bring it in a, in a bigger direction other than cash? And if the answer is they can't, then you just need to find somebody with money who's willing to give you some debt financing. Take Take on a little bit more debt, and if you truly believe in your product and you believe that the numbers are correct, then you, you've got to be willing to just go hungry for a while to prove your concept. For those struggling to network, what's the best way to build your network? you got to get out of your house, and you got to go talk to people. Um, the way I built my network initially was word of mouth, was Facebook, Instagram, other types of social profiles to let all the people I already know um, know what I was doing. And then I went and met strangers. And I had a client of mine tell me about the Northbrook Chamber of Commerce. For those of you who don't know what a Chamber of Commerce is, it's just a, a business group where local businesses, uh, it's a membership-based group where they join. There's programming put in place where it's basically an environment or a catalyst for businesses to link up and, and to do business with each other. And the Northbrook Chamber of Commerce was huge. I got introduced to an entire business ecosystem. About three months into that, I got introduced to Rotary. And a year after being a, a, a Northbrook Chamber member and a Rotarian, my business had more than doubled. My personal network had probably tripled or quadrupled. And, and then I just started getting introduced to all kinds of networking activities. So I, I guess the short answer is just get out of your house, print a bunch of business cards, and start shaking hands. 
What is the ultimate goal of a marketer or a digital ad agency? I would say there's there's the ultimate goal in staying in business, which is to make more than you spend. Um, but in terms of a marketer, our goal, my view on marketing is twofold. My job is to tell the story of my clients through effective branding, and my job is to utilize technology and messaging to drive sales and basically help them connect with the client and then turn that client into profit. And then we use analytics to bridge the gap. Yeah, that's the business answer. But uh, what does that look like when we're creating a better world through advertising, but advertising is supposed to manipulate and sell things? Okay, no, that I, I appreciate that question. The goal is to create a better experience for customers to the point where they're not being sold things they don't need. If anything, they're being sold on something they may have been reluctant for, and we're trying to show them a, a much better future using whatever product or service it is. Um, but also, we're helping our clients continue to exist. And our clients are all good people looking to make a living, and they're just struggling to figure out how to utilize digital technology to do so. Um, but at, at the end of the day, when it comes to how do we serve the end consumer, it's really just through honest advertising, being as transparent as possible, and, and just selling the product as a good time or as a healthy lifestyle. And so what is the role then of an effective marketer? How do you know that you're doing your job or anybody in digital media is doing a good job? The role of a, an effective marketer is listening, is listening and paying attention to where consumers are paying attention and figuring out what provides them value. A long time ago, advertising was about the most attractive copy and some sort of gimmicky deal to get you in the door, whereas a lot of it today is about how do I become a thought leader or an influencer or how do I give the most value through my social media account to become an industry, you know, a credible person in the industry who has knowledge on a topic. And once I've proven myself knowledgeable, then I can receive. You know, it's, all, it's become you have to give first. And, and that's really how it should be. I think this is a great time to talk a bit about self-confidence, self-doubt, and imposter syndrome. Talk to me a bit about overcoming your own self-doubt or even if you didn't experience it, why you think that might be. My, my personal opinion with self-doubt comes back to that self-reflection and that knowledge. Looking at the situation honestly, am I giving my best effort at this task and am I doing what I say I can do? And then when I look and realize I'm delivering real results, then it becomes that faith that no, this wasn't a fluke. You do know what you're talking about. People trust you. They like you and, and what you're doing is working. And then it becomes owning that. And I think that actually goes back to when we talked about setting your price. I think once I started to get real honest about my hourly rate and I stood behind that rate, some of that self-doubt did start to disappear and it became easier to stand behind the product. Do others that you know or work with have that same level of self-doubt? I, th I would agree. I would think I meet a lot of people and some of maybe some of their nonverbal or some of the things, the tone to which they say certain things in public. For example, if I'm at a networking event 
and I stand up and I speak about what I offer. And then I hear somebody else who's kind of a competitor but doesn't really do what I do all of a sudden start to mention almost like some counter or rebuttal points to my services and what they have to say. Then it almost feels like, oh, well, maybe they don't think that they can differentiate themselves without trying to look better than me. And, and then I kind of see, oh, okay, maybe that person feels a little threatened. And, and then it reminds me, oh, you know what? Everybody goes through that feeling, and we're all out here just trying to do the best. Some people are just a little bit more confident than others, or they just appear that way. you have any tips for being more confident? Yeah, I would say having faith in something bigger than my own ability. And for me, that having faith in that is, is having faith in a lifestyle and, and have you know my own personal faith in a higher power. But looking at that and saying, I haven't been brought this far to fail, and ever since I've become much more faithful in something bigger than me, I tend to be able to perform much better. And so there's something in the universe that's giving me the strength to, to really work hard and, and to grind it out, and I have faith in the process. And as long as I'm willing to work hard and to put in that footwork, you know, I'm going to be rewarded. And, and that helps me overcome that self-doubt that there's a lot of people – who are just doing what they're doing to make a buck and to get over on the next person. And I'm not really looking to do that. I'm trying to create a better world for the people around me, for my employees and for my, my customers. And, and that, that's rewarded through, through the results of our work. A huge thanks to Nate Rubin for speaking with me. Nate had some great advice for aspiring business owners and founders and for those looking to network and grow. I hope you've enjoyed Chapter 2 of Millennial Moves. As always, if you have feedback, questions, or want to get in touch, I'd love to chat. Send me an email at millennialmovespod at gmail.com. Also, rate and review us in the iTunes store. And if you can't find us on your podcast aggregator of choice, drop me a line and I'll get it listed there. Stay tuned. Chapter 3 releases in two weeks, where I'll be speaking with fellow podcaster Jenna Bueller about founding a startup incubator, life on the space coast of Florida, and more. I'm only a little jealous. She's got a better microphone than I do. Thanks for listening.